welcome to EFM for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. I am Dr. Siva from Proficio and you are listening to Proficio's Startup to Scale-Ups Entrepreneur Series where entrepreneurs will share their growth stories and how they are scaling up the companies from startup to success. We have with us today Ija Mohan, the CEO of Traverell, and he's going to share with us his journey of entrepreneurship. Good afternoon, Ija, and welcome to Proficio's Startup to Scale-Up program on EFM. Good afternoon, Doc. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Ija, tell us a little bit about your story. How did you come about setting up uh, Traverell? And of course, before this, you had Tree Society. Tell us a little bit about your startup story. Um, well, it's actually, uh, uh, I think, zero to something story. Uh, what I mean by that is basically the idea to go into e-commerce just uh, actually came out uh, over a tetari with a friend. Mm-hmm. And the idea to go into apparel actually came up because uh, my, my, you know, my wardrobe is just mainly T-shirts and singlets at that right. point. And I said, ah, if I could buy it, I would probably know how to sell it. Uh, and that's how I got into the business of apparel, selling apparel online. Right. And... Upon getting into that business, realizing that there was a real struggle for people to manufacture or custom-make apparel themselves, I realized the real solution that people wanted was not just to buy more apparel, was to probably make custom apparel online. And that's probably where the early days of 3SID came about. Mm -hmm. And upon embarking that and um, supporting multiple uh, customers who were buying from us, and upon talking to those customers, what we realized was that people were buying from us and selling uh, themselves offline, All right? right? And then the idea came about about uh, why are they buying from us, keeping stock and selling it? If we are already manufacturing on demand, why don't we help them sell it on a platform? Correct. Right? Um, so 3Sidey was uh, kind of bloomed from just an e-commerce marketplace, uh, sorry, an e-commerce platform mm-hmm. to kind of like a marketplace mm-hmm. where sellers could go on and sell. And most recently, we've been focusing a lot on looking at the travel sector. Right. And looking at the travel industry and how the, this whole idea of destination-inspired merchandise and travel apparel mm-hmm. um, is, has not re- been really championed by anyone. Mm-hmm. And the stuff that you usually get when you travel is usually of low quality, right. generic, and, and you know, and it, it has no story behind it. Correct. Right. I, I went to Langkawi and I just bought this T-shirt from one of the shops. Right. Absolutely. I love Langkawi. Yeah. Yeah. And and what we realized was. Uh, you know, we Asians uh, or we Southeast Asians, uh, uh, we are not running short of creativity, right? right. There's this designers in every corner in every city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we really wanted to do was use this marketplace uh, platform that we have built and see whether we can empower this whole travel community mm-hmm. of local designers and travelers coming together onto one platform. And we realized that this is too big for our idea. Right? I mean, it was too big of an idea just mm-hmm. to remain as a sub-brand within 3Sidey. Mm-hmm. So we, we launched Travero, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually just a travel apparel brought right. together, right? Right. Um, so Travero is focused on championing this idea of uh, enabling people to actually wear the experience mm-hmm. of travel. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, uh, I think travel is one of those most cherished uh, memory for anybody, right? right? But it's so intangible. It's just a memory. And if we you can, have your photos with you, though, that's about all, right? Yeah, but but you know, these days even the photos are not real because they all live on Instagram. <laughs> it's yeah. all digitized, and, and you don't actually have a tangible something you can hold, something you can look at. Right. So if we can tie those memory up into merchandise or apparel, right, uh, that is so near and dear to people, 
I think we got a winning formula. So how would this uh, travel destination merchandise, right? How would that tie in with someone traveling to a certain destination and you know looking at stuff everywhere? And and then when he goes back home, he would have bought some t-shirts, right? So how would you see? Travel actually providing the service of uh, what customization and stuff like that. How would someone do this? So actually, if if you look at the whole travel sector as it is now, um, uh, merchandise or apparel is almost always an afterthought. It is it is relegated to almost like a souvenir. Oh yeah, somebody will spend money buying souvenir when they right. are there, but more often than not, they don't discover uh, you know really good quality or really. Uh, uh, the true local artists and products that they make, Correct. right? Yeah. Uh, the local artisans, right? And I was just having a discussion with a with a friend over lunch, and he was mentioning that most of the merchandise or souvenirs sold across Southeast Asia yeah. comes out of one big factory in Philippines, right? Right. So, which is very unfortunate because you go to these places right. expecting to get something truly unique from right. that city, right? right? But what you actually walk away, it's a mass-produced uh, product. Or you get it from China, right? You go to Bali exactly. and you buy something and it's actually China-made. Exactly. Made, right? So what we hoped uh, or what we are doing with Travero is actually empowering local designers from every city. So mm-hmm. the idea is uh, for you to fly to Bali, um, you know, uh, and just say you're booking your ticket on uh, Airbnb or Irish, right. wherever it is. Um, the minute you you book a ticket to Bali, uh, you'll be shown like, hey, you know, congratulations on buying a ticket. Are you ready for your trip? Would you like to get apparels from Balinese designers for your trip? Right. That's so interesting. Th- yeah. So that is before the trip. Right. Uh, but what is really interesting is uh, when you look at the travel sector. Uh, when somebody actually completes their trip and they come home, mm-hmm. and they call it post-trip stage, right? Uh, they're completely abandoned. They don't love you anymore. You right. don't get any love from anybody once you've completed your trip because you're back home. They just ask you to fill up a survey form, right? Exactly, right? So uh, we believe that we can actually empower portals to actually re-communicate with their users who have just made a travel say, hey doc, uh, you, know, you know, how was your trip to Bali? Did you have right. a good time? Did you manage to get merchandise or did you get any souvenirs check out the top designers in bali and what they have to offer right right and we take it to the next level because uh we manufacture on demand Mm -hmm. which means that we can also do customization right right so it could even go as far as uh siva explores bali or siva conquered bali right Right. so it could be something that is really personalized to you and your experience um so that is totally not available in the market right now correct that means i can put anything i want on the t-shirt uh, anything that the platform and the designers allow you to put? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So if I had, let's say, uh, let's say Pulau Kapas, right? Okay. I, I go for a trip to Pulau Kapas, right? right? Maybe I, I fly, you know, to, to Tanganu or something like that. I take a boat ride across. There will be some shops somewhere in Pulau Kapas or, you know, where I can buy some T-shirts, whatever, right? But they all won't have my name on it. They won't have my experience on it. That, that's why you're talking about experience. Absolutely. Right? Actually, um, it is not just... Uh, the, the tangible experience of your connection to that to that memory of travel. Uh, but what is often overlooked is even though when you travel and you buy merchandise mm-hmm. from just say any city in Bali and all that, you're actually only enriching like one big manufacturer Correct. who's bulk printing these things right. like in mass quantities, right? right. Uh, and more often than not, unfortunately, is plagiarized designs and Correct. the people who actually come up with the original designs don't really get paid that well. Because a lot of it's pirated as well, right? Exactly. So what we want to do is actually empower these local designers. Mm-hmm. So every time somebody buys their product online, 
they actually earn uh, a right. royalty. So if they create a killer product Correct. and it sells off the rack and people buy thousands upon thousands, they get paid every time somebody buys that. And I think that's a little bit overlooked, right? The, right. the actual artisans and designers in every city. So how do you get these artisans to come on board? Uh, right now, it's a little bit, uh, uh, I think it's a laborious, but uh, much loved work for us. Mm -hmm. uh, so we currently have uh, a subset of designers that's already on our platform. Mm -hmm. uh, and we are trying to see how many of them actually uh, have can produce localized merchandise, merchandise that has a destination and local theme to it. Right. Uh, but if interestingly enough, if we see other sectors, uh, like for example, all these uh, property platforms and right. how they recruit agents in different cities, right. uh, you know, it, it comes to a little bit of online and a little bit of offline as well. Right. So uh, with the advent of Facebook targeting, although it's a little bit of a controversy right now, right. Facebook does allow you to target designers uh, in right. certain cities, in right. any city that you want. And we can reach out to them right. and tell them that, would you like to now earn money by selling your merchandise online or right. your ideas or designs online? Right. But we would also need to have an offline approach to it where maybe you do in every major city, we have a little bit of a, a workshop, mm -hmm. getting you know 50 or 100 designers together, mm -hmm. kind of onboarding them, and then word will spread from these 50 right. uh, or odd people. Right. So how many designers do you have now? Uh, currently, we have just short of 1,500 designers. That's a lot of designers already. Yes, but, uh, but I have to put a caveat. What we also realized that people love to sign up, but right. uh, only about 10 to 20% of them are actually active. So okay. we have, our team is looking at how do we now onboard these designers Correct. and kind of inspire them to start putting up products. Correct. But I suppose, you know, if you're a designer and you're making money out of this, that will be the biggest inspiration to put up more products, right? Uh, yes and no. Uh, because I think uh, I, I don't consider myself a creative person, mm -hmm. although I know how to use Photoshop a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, I think creative people tend to want to live in the creative space, right? right. Uh, not many are very entrepreneurial. Correct. So by default, a platform like Traveral is very good for them because they don't have to worry about the whole idea of managing it, uh, you know, a fulfillment. They don't have to run to their little post office to deliver the products or handle with customer Correct. service. They don't even have to sell it, right? Because you're selling it for them. Absolutely, right? They just have to create content. But even that, in its extent, is a little bit of work, you know, right. putting, up the uh, putting up the designs Correct. and all that. So our challenge or what we aim to do is actually uh, show the designers how easy it can be. Mm -hmm. And you know, it, it's not like a, like driving a Grab or Uber where you actually have to spend you know, 12 hours a day Correct. driving. You, know? uh, you could actually do this over 20 minutes if you're a really good designer, right. put it up, and if it's a great design, it sells, and you could be sleeping, or you could be right. on the beach or surfing or whatever, and you still make money. It's almost like passive income then. Absolutely. Uh, but we rather they make it active, right. so they kind of like design every week, hopefully, right. and put out more products. But so I mean, ten twenty percent is about almost three hundred people, three hundred designers, yes. three hundred artisans. So there's actually quite a lot of people there already that you can you can work with, right, to come up with designs. Absolutely. So you're talking about hyper local designs, right? So yes. you could go to. Penang and you can go to you know a, a particular street where there are certain people who do Penang based designs or you can go to Kelantan and they can do certain batik kind of designs and so if someone were to travel to Kelantan you get products exactly from Kelantan or designs from Kelantan you go to Penang you get Penang type of design is that how it works uh, okay so let me just explain a little bit of uh, 
hyper-local designs, right? right. Uh, we are not trying to just use a hype word by saying hyper-local. Right. Um, I think having localized design or localized content, if you may, is actually a very common term mm. uh, in this digital era, right? Um, so everybody wants to have local content. The reason why we take it to the next level and say hyper-local mm. is not just about having a product uh, localized to a country or a city. Uh, so, for example, if it's Klantan that you're referring to, right? right. It could actually be talking about a f- your favorite street in Kelantan even, right? right? It doesn't have to be about the country or the state or the city. Right. It could even be, you know, your favorite park in Kelantan, right? Mm-hmm. As long as it's not uh, infringing on anybody's copyright, copyright. Right. you could actually be talking about any content that you love about your city, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's whether this favorite corner stall that sells your favorite curry kepala ikan yeah. or your nasi krabu or whatever it is. Uh, you know, it could be the idea of, for example, now I think Airbnb Experiences mm-hmm. just launched, right? And, right. and this, um, I think Homestay called Paji, 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 Paji. They are offering uh, rubber tape uh, experiences, rubber experience, right? Right. So can you imagine if you're from the UK or the US and you fly all the way to Malaysia, right? And you stay with Paji, and then you actually have this amazing experience of tapping rubber yeah. in the Malaysian uh, forest, yeah. right? And, but what do you have to show for it? What do you have to say for it, right? Unless you go out screaming it at every party, nobody knows you did it. Right. But imagine having a hyper-local. What I mean by hyper-local is actually having a, a, maybe a simple T-shirt that mm-hmm. says, you know, I rubber taps mm. in the Malaysian rainforest. Right. right and maybe example. a picture of you tapping rubber itself, yeah. right? You can do that. Absolutely, right? And that kind of, you know, you are going to become, the, whatever you wear will become the conversation piece <laughs> to wherever you go, right? It will start yeah. very interesting conversations. Right. Uh, and we believe we really want to empower that. Right. That's cool. Uh, is anyone else doing anything like this that you know of? Um, I think the apparel space is, 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 when you talk about from a global level, right. is uh, reasonably crowded. Right. A lot of people doing apparel, right. uh, fashion especially. Uh, but I think when you talk about uh, customization, uh, that number drops by a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a select few players who dominate that space. Right. But if you talk about travel apparel and right. empowering this whole travel space, we don't see anybody else in it. Mm. And and that perplexes me because I think it's a space that we should really champion, mm-hmm. especially in Southeast Asia. And, and travel is a huge industry, right? So how many, I mean, what's the number of people who travel to Southeast Asia or travel within Southeast Asia? Do you have a number? Uh, from what we, uh, you know, if you include people traveling within Southeast Asia mm-hmm. and also people coming from outside, mm-hmm. the number from what I last checked is about 100 million people per year. Wow. Traveling in and around Southeast Asia. Right. So that's a big number. Right. Right. And and that number is only going to grow over the years. Right. Um, so we believe that, you know, travel apparel, man, we should really make this fly. <laughs> so this is a huge business opportunity. Absolutely. We believe right. so. And, and you have a partnership arrangement with Air Asia, right? And they alone bring in, what, seven, 60, 70 million travelers. No doubt. I mean, uh, no doubt Air Asia is probably the player when it comes to right. travel and tourism. Uh, at least in this part of the world. Right. Uh, and yes, we have a partnership with them. Mm-hmm. We are running proof of concepts. We have done right. little projects internally. Right. We are now trying to test projects externally to their consumers as well. Right. Uh, so this will be a great partnership for us to grow right. over time. And we really can't wait to see what we can do with Asia. Right. So that might be your breakthrough to really become a regional player because Asia is regional. Possibly, yes. We definitely right. see them as a, as a strong potential partner. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, we also believe that um, the idea is, it's so simple, right? It's right. so simple that most people can get it, can grasp right. it, uh, that we believe that most travel platforms would also want to be empowered 
to merchandise to their users mm-hmm. uh, because you know even if you're not a airline if even if you're just a ticketing platform mm-hmm. or even if you're just uh, you know shared room services mm-hmm. and stuff like that i think it will be something that you would want and uh, value add uh, to your customers right. for sure i mean even if you look at the hotel booking platforms there's so many of them absolutely right? and i mean any traveler needs to stay somewhere so either it's an airbnb or a hotel or a homestay or something like that exactly so you could you could work with all of them i mean what what is the opportunity that you see with these travel platforms so potentially um, the way i would simplify it is uh, if any platform is sitting on a database of travelers mm-hmm. right or as long as they are servicing travelers um, and it's kind of destination based we could empower them to mm-hmm. merchandise with travel apparel so you provide the platform really for them absolutely it's going to be plug and play which means uh, these platforms who do not need to get into the business of merchandising correct because that's a big uh, i think it's a big fear among most companies right because mm-hmm. they want to focus on their core business activity uh, and not many people say oh man i don't want to take up the responsibility of now going to merchandising and stock and inventory and management and all of that mm-hmm. uh, travel handles all of that so is this a simple api plugin with the with our systems mm-hmm. and once it's up and running it's just like that every time uh, somebody travels to a destination mm-hmm. an automated email pulls products from our platform right. shows them products related to the destination that they're traveling to right. and it's as easy as that sounds really exciting oh it is huge potential then oh we hope so too yeah. <laughs> so tell me about uh, the company how have you been running uh, have you been funded uh, is it all just your own money uh I don't come from money so it is I would, I would like to say it's all by money but okay. it's not uh, but we've been very fortunate I've been very fortunate because uh, I think along the way uh, we've had people who really believed in us believed mm-hmm. in me believed in the idea and they've supported me whether it was from uh, loans at the very early stage some close friends mm-hmm. uh, loaned me some money to start up mm-hmm. uh, and along the way uh, I think people from the copper sector uh, mm-hmm. really like the idea and they believed that I could pull it off mm-hmm. so they came in as uh, angel investors as well right uh, we also got an institutional investor csv mm-hmm. cradle uh, seed ventures cradle seed ventures right. exactly so i believe we were their first or second investment right awesome. um so that has been an interesting experience mm-hmm. um and now we are looking to raise our next round probably mm-hmm. do a series a probably okay. do a series a round right uh for travel mm-hmm. uh so that is a uh, interesting journey right so fundraising is an interesting journey uh fundraising is, is you know it's no word right it's fun right it's right. fundraising <laughs> it's raising so much fun it's raising it's it's a lot of fun doing fundraising oh it is it is i i think it is uh, uh specifically very interesting because when you talk to a different uh ranges of investors you get really different input right and, and and the reality is not everybody thinks you can do it correct right so you get plenty of no's before you might get that one yes yes but i really appreciate the perspective and the concerns that they bring up right, right. um and they draw parallels to other industries that maybe you have never drawn yourself correct and then you see like oh yeah they have some valid issues or valid points correct that we should be addressing right uh so although it's not always exciting to to, mm-hmm. to hear critique mm-hmm. uh, but i i always appreciate it because it kind of makes you think about your own business correct. the way you might not be already thinking correct but you could really look at critique as input right if if 10 different investors tell you 10 different things and you solve all those 10 different things then there is the next investor will just say hey you know you have no issues i'll invest in you absolutely right uh, absolutely yes but it can be quite challenging of course uh, right? i guess the, the challenge is um setting the stage so 
it's not a clash of egos, right? So it's not mm. about, hey, I'm the entrepreneur and I know about this business, I'm going to make this work. And it's not that entrepreneur who says, hey, I'm the investor, I have the money, mm. I'm smarter than you, right? So right. as long as it's not a clash of egos, right. it can be very productive. Right. But, you know, for, for whatever reason, if you try to front your ego and they try to front your ego, it becomes right. a pointless exercise. Right. But it's all about relationship, right? Ultimately, uh, uh, whoever the funder is and you as the, as the uh, lead entrepreneur, the CEO, it's about relationship. If you have a good relationship, both of you will do really well and the, and the business will do well as well, right? Uh, absolutely. I believe that um, what I've learned is uh, usually, although investing is, is, is a very professional mm-hmm. and, and some might say very regulated area, uh, what I've actually realized is the people who actually want to invest in you, to a certain extent, they actually want to be your friends or you want to be their friends. Right? Right. It's, it, you can have conversations with them. Right. Uh, they kind of like you as a person right. as well as your company. Right. It is not as hostile as what some might presume, Correct. right? It is It is not entrepreneur versus investor, right? right. Uh, more it's a of, partnership, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. It's right. almost like a taking on a, another co-founder. Right. Um, and that's what I realized. Like even with, with CSV, for example, mm. the, the, the whole discussion for equity, mm-hmm. uh, you know, didn't last more than 30 seconds and it was over Tay Tarik, right? So it, does, yeah. so it doesn't have to be something that is like you know you know like you see an episode of uh, suits or something like Shopping lawyers yeah <laughs> exactly right it doesn't have to be that hostile right uh, it doesn't have to be a painful experience exactly right? yes so so you have a good relationship i i gather from this you have a really good relationship with credit ventures oh absolutely okay that's really good to know uh, so you actually gone from doing um, regular t-shirts with corporate clients to now focusing on the travel industry Absolutely. Right, but you are also still doing something with Media Prima. You want to share a little bit about that? Uh, yeah. So uh, our evolution from Three Sidey to Travero uh, does not mean that Three Sidey is abandoned. Mm-hmm. So the reason we have uh, decided to keep Travero as a separate product is to have a separate focus on the travel sector. Right. But at the same time, we we work with uh, media companies like Astro, BFM, and so on. And maybe the the branding of travel of travel does not suit them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, for for example, most recently with Media Prima Digital, mm-hmm. we are actually helping them merchandise for one of the apps, mm-hmm. uh, which is Agent Ali, mm-hmm. uh, which if, I, if I'm not mistaken, is their number one IP. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have literally millions of dollars of the the app right. in Malaysia as well as Indonesia. Right. Uh, and I think it's the first time, at least in, in Malaysia, I would dare say. Um, that an app has a in-app merchandising mm. uh, option, so users right. can actually visit the shop right. and buy merchandise for their favorite game. Right. Right. Um, so, in that sense, it's really exciting because uh, uh, powering an app. This is the first time we are powering an app. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of learning in it for us. Right. Right. Uh, the team at Media Prima and Media Prima Digital are are great, very forward-thinking people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we definitely want to continue growing that. Right. Uh, and we do see ourselves. Uh, powering more apps mm-hmm. and so on with Recity. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, so and, that's and, why you are keeping it separate. Right, and and Asian Ali just had the uh, you know their branding on an Air Asia plane. So the whole livery on the Asia plane was about Asian Ali. Yeah, right? so it's so it's really interesting because we kind of work the, with the both two partners. people that you're working with. <laughs> yeah, we work with both partners, and then we, we have a meeting with uh, Media Prima, and we tell them, 
uh, oh yeah, we, we also work in the Asia. Then they're like, oh yeah, we are working in the Asia as well. <laughs> and you know, they like they can't tell us too much details. Right. And then we talk to Asia, and they're like, yeah, we know Asian Ali, but we can give you too much details as well. Right. And then suddenly we see the plane with the whole livery and all Correct. that. Uh, so we're definitely looking at a right. a, a, a mashup possibly Correct. of both Asian Ali and Asia. Right. If we can get them to agree to it. Right. That sounds really exciting, right? Because it's also Asian Ali is big in Indonesia as well, not just in Malaysia, right? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, Sounds like really exciting times for you going ahead. But I'm sure you face some challenges as well. Almost. Tell us about, you know, in building this business and getting to where you are today, what have been your biggest challenges and how have you overcome some of these challenges? So I think in, in trying to do something that has not been done before, mm-hmm. uh, there's, all, there's a lot of teething uh, mm-hmm. challenges for us. Uh, for a lot of it we are learning on the fly. Right. Uh, we are very thankful to have partners, investors, mm-hmm. uh, who trust us to not only make mistakes, but mm-hmm. learn from these mistakes right. uh, and pick ourselves up really fast after right. it. Um, so I think we, we had challenges in terms of tech, mm-hmm. uh, building the platform at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a complete uh, 180 turnaround when our tech team simply couldn't deliver what we wanted to do. Wow. We had to change tech partners halfway through. Mm-hmm. That was really painful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think... Uh, tech is definitely one of it. Mm-hmm. Um, brands, working with brands, large brands, uh, brands like Media Prima, Astro, Asia, mm-hmm. they're like the kings of their spaces, right? right? So they have very set ways in how they do. Although I have to respect these brands because they're all looking to innovate as well. Correct. Right? And, and among their grand innovate plans, uh, they also need to find a way to work with us. Correct. Right? So there's a little bit of teething there, working with large corporates. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think once you find the rhythm, mm-hmm. it becomes really easy working with them. But right. finding the rhythm can be a little tricky. Right. And it, and they all want to go digital, right? I Absolutely. mean, like Media Prima Digital uh, is actually doing very well. Uh, and this is part of the plans for going digital as well, right? Digital merchandising, literally. Absolutely. Right? Because they're not just selling t-shirts in shops now. Yes. It's merchandising online, uh, in-app purchases, and so on, right? Absolutely. I mean, if even if you look at the trend uh, outside, in the, if you want to say in, in the real world or in real life, uh, I was just driving past Wanatama the other day, and Wanatama is really advertising... The, the, I think it's the Wanatama shop or mm-hmm. one shop mm-hmm. where the mall is actually promoting their online presence right. right and that makes sense because you don't want to be cannibalized by the Lazada or Zara right. out there correct and it's just uh, you know you have a big parking lot essentially and nothing else with it correct yeah so I think brands don't have a choice right, uh, right. digital is the way to go right so everybody's trying to figure out uh, figure it out and I think the people who appreciate merchandising mm-hmm. um, uh, the call that they are trying to make is should we go into this full-time in the sense that should they invest and build something themselves? Mm-hmm. Uh, and from what we have seen, that might not be the best solution. Right. We've seen uh, large corporates try to build their brand, mm-hmm. uh, build a merchandising solution. And because it operates like a corporate mm-hmm. and not as nimble as right. a, like a startup, it needs to be Correct. very nimble at the beginning, Correct. right? Um, so it doesn't really work. Correct. Right, so they rec- they need a startup mentality. Right, uh, which if you if you talk to uh, twenty corporate companies these days, yes. every single one of them will tell you we are a startup. Yes, right. Uh, we, we think like a startup, uh, but the reality but the reality is, is not the reality is not always there. Right, uh, but I suppose uh, my my biggest uh, concern would be would the corporate partners try to do it themselves? Correct. But, but at the same time, what we realize is uh, we have seen some of them try to do it themselves. Correct, and it just doesn't work. 
right? And, uh, and that's that's a lesson for corporates, right? You don't have to do everything yourself. Absolutely. There are so many startups out there doing all kinds of things. All you have to do is, you know, work with the startups, you know, make them be part of you, work as a partnership, and that's that's really the way to go. Absolutely. So the mentality of most corporates trying to, you know, just take them over and then running it as a corporate doesn't really work, right? Because innovation really happens with startups, not, you know, within large corporates. Yes, and, and I think in, in terms of, uh, corporates, and I'm not talking about any corporate in specific, but um, the general thinking of corporate is they think in 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 large budgets over right. long period of time, right? Uh, and usually, they wait for a really long time before deciding something has failed or a strategy Correct. is not working. Yeah. Whereas in a startup, if you don't see something happen in a week, you kind of say something's wrong with this. Right? You know, let's stop spending money, let's fix it, Correct. and try something else. Uh, so usually, what happens in in, in those cases is they spend so much money in it. Uh, b- before they identify a mistake, they're like, oh, this this is not going to work. Yes. You know, it's just money down the hole, right? right? Whereas the startup tends to be a little bit more nimble Correct. and catches that a little bit earlier. It, it doesn't have a lot of money as well, so it, yeah. has, it has to be super nimble, <laughs> so right? So what money, right? <laughs> so in, in that sense, uh, I suppose if a corporate is able to think like that, but uh, I think that the definition of a corporate basically says they can't think like they that. They can't think like that, yeah. yeah. So that is, um, I think, is the challenges for them. Yeah, um, I mean, it's been proven everywhere in the world that the greatest innovations come from startups, not from within the corporates themselves. Absolutely. You know? Unless it's just, you know, incremental innovation, small innovations, but really big uh, revolutionary uh, innovations don't come from uh, the corporates, it comes from startups. Yeah, right? so one of the... Uh, one of the advice uh, I've, I've gotten from one of my investors is basically them telling me that uh, a startup is kind of is all they're worried about a startup is to not screw up. Right. That is like a point of a, 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 a sorry a corporate right? right. A big corporate is they put in systems. There's tons of bureaucracy right. to avoid mistakes. Right. They're not looking for an amazing idea to take it to two x growth or whatever. Right. They want they want it to sail. They right. want it to be the same way it is, and they just want to avoid mistakes. Correct. It, which by definition means, you know, innovation is, is at the bottom of the priority, Correct. right? Correct. Just don't change the status quo, right. keep things as is, right? So which is, seems to be the DNA of a corporate, whereas right. for a startup is do whatever it takes to get that Correct. two, three, 10x growth. Exactly. So it's a very different mindset. Right. Not even two, three, right? It's, <laughs> it's 10, 20x growth. So, sorry, right? I meant 20, 30. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what other challenges have you faced? I mean, uh, how many people do you have in your team? So the team is currently about six, seven people. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Travel grows, we expect to add to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but add to that very slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think we have grown to, I think, just over 20 people before. Mm-hmm. Um, when we had capacity running some large campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when the campaign slowed down, we had to downsize, right? right. And as an entrepreneur, uh, the, one of the most difficult things I've done in my life is, is downsizing your team right. and letting people go because I think every time you hire someone, it's almost like you you want them to join your family. Mm-hmm. And then at, and when you let someone go, it's like telling them, mm, you're not part of this family anymore. Correct. And it's, it's, it's simply easily one of the things that I hate right. doing most. So when it comes to hiring, I'm, I'm like really careful about it mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a major challenge in in finding good people, mm-hmm. uh, in hiring good talent, and especially talent that, that jives mm-hmm. with your culture and what you want to achieve and who believes in the vision of the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we want to be super careful because if you hire the wrong person, right. uh, they might be great at what they do, Correct. but if they're not a fit, uh, at some point you have to let them go. Correct. And that's a 
very painful process. Yeah, but it's a necessary process as well. Absolutely. Right? Because yes. it's also uh, trial and error sometimes. Because yes. they might look good on paper, they might do well in an interview, but it, it might not work out. So, uh, actually, you're 100% correct because uh, by now, I think I've, I've interviewed almost 100 people, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and what I realized is, uh, is, you know, they can say whatever they want to interview. You only know, you only truly know a person. Yeah. In the first few weeks when they start when they start to yeah. work for you, you truly know how they are. So yeah. uh, even a candidate, a superstar candidate that is like, oh my God, we need to have this person. Correct. Uh, we only truly know what they can do once they've actually started working with Correct. you. Yep. Right. Uh, so that is, uh, uh, and especially with startups being the 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 hot uh, hot subject hot, right now, a yep. lot of corporates, a lot of people from the corporate background yep. are looking to join startups Correct. as well. That's and right. they may not necessarily be the right fit. Correct. Or the expectation is somewhere fun, somewhere yes. cool, rather than somewhere that's actually a lot tougher sometimes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, the image of startups being cool and fun is, you know, it's not really it's true. All it's all beanbags. It's, it's cool and fun, yes, but it's also tough like hell. Yes, right? yeah. absolutely, yes. So tell me, um, where do you see uh, Traverell in the next three to five years? Uh, uh, I mean, I, you know, as a startup entrepreneur, uh, I don't think we can talk about five years anymore, right? It's, right. It's, things change so fast. But if you talk about the next three years where we where I want the company to go, mm-hmm. I think uh, within the next one or two years, we want to exist in multiple markets, uh, at least mm-hmm. three or four uh, markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're talking about five years, what my hope is that we have uh, we have a presence in every Southeast Asian country. Mm-hmm. We have designers or sellers. In, in every major city across Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be my dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we want 100 million people traveling across Southeast Asia to at least see one email from us <laughs> and to consider <laughs> us that, hey, we should be buying merchandise on Travero. Right. right? That will be the dream, uh, right. to, to serve 100 million people across Southeast Asia. That will be the dream. Right, and I can see, you know, the passion that you have, the drive that you have. You know, I think your dream will come through. I hope so too, Doc. I'll hold you to that. <laughs> <laughs> and when it does come through, right, we'll have a nice day, Tara, and talk about the time we sit today on EFM that it will come through. Definitely. Okay. So thank you very much, Ija. Um, we have to end now. It's already it's 30 minutes, you know. We've oh, had wow. such a quick conversation in 30 minutes. Thank you very much for sharing. Uh, I wish you all the best. I wish uh, Traverell all the success you can get. I hope you get your dream to come through, and I'm sure it will. Uh, I have a lot of faith in you as well, right? So I'm sure it will. So thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing with us your journey uh, as an entrepreneur. So you have just heard uh, Ija Mohan, the CEO of Traverell, share his journey of entrepreneurship and how he plans to take his company from startup to scale up. This episode was brought to you by EFM and Proficio as part of our Startup to Scale Up Entrepreneur Series. We hope you enjoyed this interview and please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. Thank you for listening. This is Dr. Siva of Proficio signing off until next week. Thank you.